Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. To take today and talk about baptism. I know we do baptisms regularly throughout the year as part of what we do, and so often the message that we preach on the day that we have baptisms isn't necessarily about baptism and what, what the meaning of water baptism is, but over the last week I've just been thinking about it and stirring on it, and I wanted to take today to really look at what is water baptism, to restir our hearts and our minds on the topic and the practice and the sacrament of baptism. You know, before Jesus departed from earth, he gave us two sacraments that he said, I want you to keep practicing these things. One is communion, which we do together regularly in lots of different formats and different ways. And the other is baptism. And he said, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples and I want you to baptize them. And so I think every so often it can be easy for us when we have things that we do regularly to forget why it is we do what we do or to lose some of the depth and the meaning to why it is we do the things that we do. And so I hope today that your hearts are going to be stirred. In fact, my plan is that some of you who have been baptized before are going to get so excited about what we talk about today that you're going to be like, I'm just, I need to get baptized again, <laughs> which you may or may not actually need to do if it takes the first time. But I believe there are some of you in this room as well who have made the decision to follow Jesus but haven't yet made your public declaration of faith, which is your water baptism. And if that's you and you decide today, there's going to be a moment for you to sign up and get on board. I love there's this part in Scripture where a man is reading through the Bible, and then um, one of the disciples comes up to him, and they start explaining to him the scripture, and as he re gets revealed, the scripture gets revealed to him, and he starts understanding about who Jesus is. He says, what should keep me from getting saved? What should keep me from being baptized right now in this moment? And they find actually, ironically, they find a water trough, very similar in my mind, to the one we are using in this room today. And they baptize the man right there in that moment. And I always love it because in church, we have a tendency to overcomplicate things, right? We do sometimes. And sometimes that's because we've grown from, you know, thousands of years ago. There are many more of us today than there were then. And it's because we've learned some things along the way, which is incredible and is important. But I also think sometimes we overcomplicate things and we're like, well, have they gone through their 10-step course to come to their baptism moment and have has someone verified? And, and I'm like, this guy was just like, I see water. I get it. Baptize me right now. And some of you are going to have a moment like that today where you say, I feel it and I see it and I understand it. Let's get baptized today. Either way, I hope that all of our hearts are, in, are stirred and are encouraged and are inspired by what God teaches us and why it is that Jesus gave us this practice of baptism. So if you're ready, if you want to travel along with me, open your Bibles to the book of Romans. We're going to look at the book of Romans, and we're going to start in chapter 6. The book of Romans, chapter 6. This is Paul's letter to the church in Rome, as you might guess. He is writing to the church in Rome 
to let them know some things. And I will flip here and read along with you. Oh, by the way, guys, Phil has just finished his second full marathon. What? I know. He's amazing. He ran 26.2 miles this morning. Jeez Louise, I tell you what, that man, on purpose, I know. He paid money to do it. I know. Anyway, all right, chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. I love, first of all, I just love about Scripture that, like, we think we have unique arguments today. Like, if, you fought, if you've been in church for a while, you're like, oh, there's, like, the, the what sometimes is labeled as, like, the hyper-grace people. Are they to which I don't think you can be hyper-grace, by the way. I think grace is abundant, and it's, like, more abundant than we even actually have a picture for. But it's like, oh, they're too grace And then it's like on the other extreme of that might be like the holiness people who are like, can you like blah, blah, blah. And Paul's like, I've been having this argument for thousands of years. I was writing to the church in Rome about it. He says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus and we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we too might walk into a new life. That after baptism, we are coming and saying we have been made new and there is something new going on in my life and in my heart and in my mind. This is a new life that I am being walked into when I come through baptism. Father God, we thank you that your presence is in this place. God, we want to celebrate each person that is being baptized today, each person who has made a decision not just to be a follower of Jesus, but to publicly make a statement, God, that new life is before them. And we just declare over them that something special is happening in their life today. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is in this place, and I ask you to speak through me, God, and I ask us to hear you clearly And I thank you that it will change us and form us for the days to come. Amen. Okay, who's ever heard of Moses? Like the Bible person? Yes, Moses. Not to be confused with Noah. Often, sometimes these guys get mixed around. Noah was the guy with the big boat who rode on the water. Moses is the guy who rode in the little basket down the river. There were the ten plagues. There was the burning bush in reverse order. And then he walked through the water, not on top of the water. This is Moses. Moses is like the man. He's this guy who was raised, who was born as a Hebrew, but raised in the Egyptian palace. He was raised as royalty. Moses is also a murderer. We don't always throw that in in our accounts of Moses, but that's in there too. And then he had to flee the place where he grew up, except for God found him in the midst of the wilderness by fact of a burning bush that was burning but was not being consumed and sent him back to the place that he was running from so that he could be the deliverer of these people. 
And then there's the 10 plagues. You've heard of these. There's frogs and the river turns to blood and there's flies and there's boils and it's awful. And finally, Pharaoh is like, just get out of here. But it begs the question, how did we even get here? How did we even get to this place or to this point where the children of Israel, the people of God, find themselves in bondage and in slavery? They find themselves bound and captive in the land of Egypt, serving other people and unable to leave by their own free will. They find themselves in the place of bondage. We have to ask ourselves this question of how did we even get here? And I think in all of life, it's a helpful and important question to ask ourselves, how did I even get here? How did I even come to this place that I find myself in right now? Because we find ourselves in all kinds of places and stopping to take a moment to look back and to reflect and to wonder and say, how, how did I become a person who harms other people? How did I get here? When did I become a person with a defragmented sense of identity and of self, how did I get here? What are the paths and the roads that have led me to this place where I now find myself lashing out at others? How did I get here? A person more consumed with achieving than I am with delighting in God. How did I even get here? And it's important to ask it in the reverse as well. When things are going well, when we have things potentially more important to ask the question of when we have things that we'd like to see reproduced and replicated in our life, and how did I get here? How did I become a person of faithfulness? And how did I become someone of integrity? How did I come to the place where I see my life with optimism? How did I get here? How am I still standing? If these are goals that are worth replicating or qualities and characteristics that we'd love to see repeated in other people, how did I get here? I ask myself this question. There's the the concept, the idea, the experience of people who have what we now tend to call church hurt. I call it people hurt, but I totally understand where they're coming from. That there are experiences that people have had inside and with people in the church, a place where they had a certain level of expectation that they would be handled in a certain way or would experience things from a certain perspective. And people did not live up to that standard often. And then they leave with church hurt, and that tends to send people in a place of wandering and too often ends up in a place where offense and where bitterness takes root in someone's life and now their relationship with God is severed. And so I ask myself the question, why am I still here? I've experienced what could be labeled church hurt quite a lot, actually. I've had a lot of experiences over my life experiences of people not holding up their end of the bargain, 
Experiences of people turning around and not being what I thought they should be. Experiences of leaders letting me down in the image that I had created in my mind of who I wanted them to be. Experiences of churches splitting and moving and and egos getting in the way of what should have been a place of unity and of celebration. And so I ask myself, why am I still here? Because it's my passion in life to figure out how I can replicate that for other people. How I can replicate for other people a resilient faith that continues to walk with them in spite of the fact that things didn't go your way. In spite of the fact that every prayer that you prayed didn't get answered in the way that you thought that it should be answered. In fact, of the, in spite of the fact that sometimes I have felt disappointed by God and let down by God and unsure of God. And despite the fact that people have hurt me and despite the fact that people have walked away from me and despite the fact that I have had my fair share of messing things up and doing them in a way that I wish I could go in spite of the fact of being part of this messy thing that God decided to implement called the church, I'm still here. And how do I recreate that thing and that feeling in someone else's life and in someone else's experience? I ask myself the question, how did I get here? It's a worthwhile question of asking. The short answer to my question, which is a very complicated question actually, is that I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with the person of Jesus. And so when people don't make sense, and when the church doesn't make sense, and when the news doesn't make sense, and when the Bible hasn't made sense to me, I knew that I had fallen in love with Jesus. And so I kept coming back, and I keep coming back until all of that aligns with who I know he is. How did we get here? How did these children of God, this people of God, favored by him and called by him and brought out by him and with his name stamped on them, how did they come to be in bondage? And for that, we have to go back a little bit further to Joseph. You remember Joseph and his colored coat, favorite brother? He wore a coat around that announced to all of his brothers that his dad loved him more than he loved all of the other brothers. It's not a recipe for sibling compatibility. And so it should not come as a surprise that his brothers threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery because they were a little bit tired of hearing how much daddy likes you. But Joseph had incredible favor and incredible leadership on the inside of him. And so Joseph ended up in the land of Egypt. And even though he was a slave, he rose out of his position of slavery and of bondage and into a position of leadership. And God used Joseph by his interpretation of dreams to know that there would be years of abundance and there would be years of famine. And so he saved up during the years of abundance so that there would be enough in the time of famine. 
But in the midst of this, his family who was living in their own land had, because they had sent Joseph away, they didn't have the dream interpreter with them to let them know that the time of famine was coming. And so Joseph had been storing up in a different land and they get hungry because the famine has struck. And so they walk to Egypt and they find food and they find nourishment in Egypt. You have to be careful where you eat from. And you have to be careful where you stay too long. Because they got used to eating in Egypt. And they got used to staying in Egypt. And there is something about a hungry stomach and an easy meal. There is something about the promise of a quick, full stomach that will lead us into places of compromise time and time again. It's the story of every time you run through a fast food drive through The promise of an easy, filled stomach has led you to the place of compromise. And the children of Israel find themselves in the place of compromise because they've come for a meal and they've stayed. They've moved themselves into a land and into a place that is never the place that God said was meant to be theirs because there was plenty. And like a slow boiling pot, bondage creeps up on them one tick at a time. Bondage is very rarely like a Taken movie where it snaps and grabs you. Every now and then it's that dramatic, but most of the time it's slow, easy decisions. It seems harmless until you realize you're so far in that you can't get yourself out anymore. It's something like just taking caffeine pills on nights when I'm studying, which turns into just a couple Adderall during finals week, which turns into just a fake script to get me through my masters, which turns into an addiction, which turns into they won't renew my fake script anymore which turns into self-medicating with methamphetamine and barely holding on to the career that I fought so hard to get myself to. It's rarely a jump from completely free to completely bound. It's a slow, methodical move towards deeper and deeper levels of bondage. It's also why we should be so careful with our judgment. Nobody woke up and said, hey, I'm a college student, and you know what I'd like to do over the next four years? I'd like to get myself hooked on meth. That's why I came here, and I'm just going to jump into that. No, they thought they were making decisions that helped for the moment. They thought they were making decisions that cured the hunger for this moment and for this time. They thought that the full stomach of today seemed faster and easier and better than where this path was leading, and they couldn't see all the way down the road to the place that it was about to lead them to. Bondage is a slow, steady boil 
And before you know it, the place that you walked yourself into, you can no longer walk yourself out of. And the children of Israel who freely walked into Egypt, freely picked up their things and moved their family to this place, find themselves now bound, doing Pharaoh's work for him, unable to decide where they go in the place where their generations are now the victims of Pharaoh's hand because he fears what will happen if they ever rise up against him. And it is now his job and his role in order to keep the structure that he has to keep them oppressed and to keep them small and to, above all things, keep them bound. It is slowly creeping up this feeling of bondage. And so God sends Moses. And he sends Moses who knows how to speak the language of the Hebrews and knows how to speak the language of the palace. And he comes into this place and he speaks on behalf of God who has empowered him and brought them here for this moment. And he speaks on behalf of God and these 10 plagues are released across the land and it wears Pharaoh out. And finally, Pharaoh says to them, fine, be free, go free. Just go away from here. And it says that they walk out in a place of abundance. They are now covered in the jewels and they are now covered in the gold and in the the wrappings of the people who once held them in bondage. And they walk all the way out of Egypt. They are no longer slaves to the thing that held them and the thing that they couldn't get free of on their own. Moses walks them out of that place and they go into the desert and into the wilderness and now they find themselves at the edge of a Red Sea. They are in the place of freedom but they're still pretty close to Egypt. They have walked out of their place of bondage but it's not that far from them still. They are standing here and God is taking them on a journey where he is trying to show them who he is to them and who he will become to them. And while they are there at the edge of the Red Sea, bondage comes for them again. Pharaoh is coming. Egypt is coming The slavery that wants to bring them back into a place of being shackled is coming for them again. Their decision to walk out of the place of freedom was not enough to keep bondage from wanting to come back after them. Bondage is always trying to come after you. It is always trying to come for us. It wants to re-shackle you. It wants to re-ensnare you. It wants to re-entangle you and drag you back to the place of bondage. There's a scripture in the book of Genesis where it says, sin is there crouching at your door. You must overcome it. And they are there with bondage coming back, roaring behind them, trying to come back after them. And this is the moment where God splits the Red Sea before them. See, he is taking them on a journey of learning to trust in who he is to them. 
He is taking them on a journey of revealing to them just how deep his power is in front of them. He is taking them on a journey of learning to trust in him more than they trust in anyone else or anything else. They are used to receiving their food from someone else's hand. He needs to learn, teach them to learn to trust in him. And they stand at the edge of the Red Sea and it says the power of God moves in front of them and the wind goes through the sea and it splits it open and it rises up on either side of them and on dry land, all of the people of Israel walk from one side all the way to the other side of the Red Sea. It is a form of group baptism where God says, on this side of the thing, you were still close to your bondage. On this side of the thing, you had made the decision to leave, but you were pretty close to going back. On this side of the thing, it was trying to come after you, but I need to take you all the way through this moment of baptism, of washing and of cleansing and of moving away from the place you were into the place that you are going to be. And they walk all the way through it. And they come out on the other side. And God closes the water behind them. He closes the passageway back for them. He closes the route that they came through. And it says in a declaration that this is no longer available to you. This is not a route you can take anymore. When you come through the waters, I am closing this passageway to you. And there is no longer a passageway for you to go back to your bondage. Because what God knew is that they were going to get over here and they were going to start having some rose-colored dreams about what things were like in Egypt. They were going to start having some tainted memories about what things were like when they were on that side of the Red Sea. They were going to start having some memories that didn't all the way line up with what it was like to be in the place of bondage. So he said, when you come through these waters, it is closing the passage back for you. Phil and I took a trip earlier this year. We flew somewhere, and we were getting off of the plane. We were walking off of the jetway, and as we were walking off, we were coming, coming to the end of it, and all of a sudden he goes, oh, man, I left my headphones in, my pocket, in the seat pocket on the plane. And I was like, man... <clears throat> So we were walking, and we had the boys with us. So he was like, I'll come out, and I'll put the stuff down with you and the boys, and I'll go back, and I'll get my my headphones. And I was like, okay, great. So we come out. We put down our bags. He turns around to go back, and the flight attendant at the gate stops, and he goes, she goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are you going? And he goes, I I just left something on the plane. I just need to go back. And and she goes, oh, you, you can't go back anymore. And he said, but I, I just le- I just, I'm right here, and I just left something right there. And she said, yeah, I understand. But this line right here, that's the end of the jetway. And when you crossed over to that line, you can't, you can't go back that way anymore. And, you know, if you've been traveling with little kids, I'm not going to say we were as calm and pastoral as I'd like to be. <laughs> but it was like, you're telling me when I was right here, I could have gone back. But when I'm right here, I can't go back anymore. And she's like, yes, sir, that's what I'm saying to you. And he's like, that, 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 the, that, inch, that inch right there, on this side of that inch, I could go back to my seat and get my own headphones 
on this side of this inch, I'm not allowed to go back anymore. And she said, yes, sir, that's what I'm saying to you. You have crossed the line. And on this side of the line, you are no longer permitted to go back to where you were. And it feels like a very arbitrary line. It feels like a very insignificant space and place, but for your safety and for the safety of others, when you are on this side, there is still an opportunity for you to go back. But once you have moved to this side, you are no longer permitted to go back to the place that you came from. And perhaps a baptismal pool feels like a very arbitrary space and a very arbitrary line and a very arbitrary moment in your time and just a thing to go through because my grandma said it's a nice idea if I get baptized but I'm telling you on this side of the pool there are some things that you can go back to but by the time you get over here on this side there are some things that are no longer for you anymore when you're on this side of the pool there are some things that are coming in with you that by the time you get to this side are not coming out with you anymore there are some things that make sense on this side that by the time you come over to this side don't make sense to you anymore because your passageway back has been closed. By the time you get over here, there are some things that are no longer for you. By the time you get over here, there are some things that are no longer going to work for you anymore. By the time you get to this side of things, there are some things that you just can't return to anymore because you have moved through the waters and you have come into a place where God is walking you now on a journey of faithfulness with him, of learning who he is, of understanding what it is to move by a cloud and move by a fire because you no longer move by the toll of Pharaoh's bell and you no longer move by the yank of the chains that bound you. You move by the moving of the Holy Spirit. You move by when his cloud moves. You say, I gotta be under his cloud. You now move by when his spirit moves. You say, I gotta be in the midst of where his spirit is. There's something on the inside of you that it seems arbitrary and it seems like it's just a little moment and it seems like it's just a little thing but I'm telling you, from this side to that side, there is somebody new who is coming up in the waters. There is something that is going to be made new in you. Let's look at what Paul said in Romans again, because it's so good when you understand that Paul understood that the walking through the waters was like a baptismal of the people, that something old died on that side that's not coming over to this side. He said, then what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin and that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Check out verse three. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Okay, this word baptized, this word baptism, that when we use it, when you and I use it, we think of waters and we think of people going in and going out of waters. We think of babies in white robes getting water sprinkled of. This is what baptism is to us. This word baptized has a violence to it. It meant in its original context that something was being taken by force. It was used into, to, to connect with the idea of drowning or when ships were sunk in the ocean. It meant that 
that the water had overcome something and had overcome someone. What they are saying is that the you that was bound to sin has been taken into the waters and that you is being overcome by the cleansing of his power. That you is not coming out on the other side. When you come in, the power of sin over your life, it is like Christ's death, his death that was an atoning sacrifice saying that sin required blood and sin required punishment and because of that he willingly hung himself on a cross and because you are no longer that person you willingly step into a pool of water and lay down the you who once was bound in sin and once was a slave to all kinds of sinful natures and you say that me is going down and it's being overcome by what's happening in this water and it's not not coming back up because the me that's coming back up on the other side is a me who is filled with life and it's a me who is filled with new life and it's a me who now walks in the resurrection power of who God is the you who's on that side is not the same you who comes out on this side the old you has died and the new you has come and is walking in the victory of his life It's not just some silly little thing that we do. It is a declaration that my passageway back has been closed. And there will be times that your mind wanders back. And there will be times that your heart wanders back. There will be times that your actions wander back. The children of Israel built a gold deity in the middle of the desert because their minds and their hearts wandered back, but they couldn't go back because the passage had been closed. And you can't go back. You can only move forward after you make this declaration that I am now living a new life. We're getting ready to move into baptisms. But if you today have said, I've made a decision to follow Jesus, but I've never been baptized. As we get ready to read this next scripture, you can head back to the corner. Some of the team is back there. And if you want to get baptized today with all of these amazing people who are getting ready to make their public declaration, then today is your day. Make your way to the corner. They've got t-shirts for you. I hope they've got more towels because more people are getting baptized in them towels. They've got more towels, I'm teasing. They've got everything that you need if today is your day to make a public declaration that the old me is staying on that side and the new me is coming on this side. Because look what Paul says next in Romans 6 and verse 5. He says, for if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You're not going back to Egypt. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
And now if we have died in Christ, we believe that we will also live in him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Check out verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Come on. Come on. God, we thank you for your gift of baptism. We thank you that you have given us an outward declaration of the inward transformation that has happened to us. And we speak, God, that it would always be a moment of celebration in our church, that we would never grow common, God, with the things that are part of the life of a believer. And God, we speak over every person being baptized today, God, that they are making a holy declaration and that some things are staying on one side of the pool that aren't coming with them to the other side. We declare over their lives, God, that the passage has been closed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.